Hello and welcome once again to Viton Council Live. This is episode number five. The Viton Council is an invitation-only organization for professionals to be able to publish content, connect, and excel. We help our members grow and launch their careers in business and marketing, and we're here at 12 p.m. Central Time every single week on LinkedIn Live. Here's what's happening in business this week that you need to know about. Yesterday, President Biden and Vice President Harris were inaugurated. Their Twitter handles also changed slightly before noon on Wednesday. President Biden became POTUS on Twitter, and the followers for the Twitter account were reset. Previous followers of the POTUS account will get a notification with the option to be able to follow Biden's POTUS account if they wish. Biden's digital director, though, called Twitter's transition plan, quote, profoundly insufficient in a tweet last week. He said, quote, they're bending themselves over backwards to break with the 2017 protocol that set on the transfer of accounts and also breaking with every other social platform and providing the new administration with a follower base. Twitter, though, declined to comment beyond its blog about the decision to not automatically move the followers. Biden's first tweet as POTUS was sent from the account at about 1236. There was no time to waste when it comes to tackling the crises that we face, the tweet reads. And that's why today I'm heading over to the Oval Office to get right to work delivering bold and immediate relief for American families. As as President Biden heads to the Oval Office, there are several brands that are endorsing one or more of President Biden's first executive orders. Airbnb celebrated the reversal of the travel ban, saying that we, quote, celebrate today's reversal of the 2017 United States travel ban that prevented citizens from certain countries seeking entry to the United States. Now, previously, that travel ban impacted 13 Muslim-majority countries from obtaining any kind of visas, which largely prevented them from being able to enter the U.S. or settle in the U.S. permanently. They weren't alone, though, because United Airlines also tweeted that they applauded President Biden's decision to re-enter the Paris Climate Agreement. The company said that they're committed to the climate crisis with direct investments in technology that will actually decarbonize aviation in their 100% green commitment. There was a photo of Bernie Sanders that went viral during the inauguration, and it showed the senator sitting alone, cross-legged, and dressed for the cold weather. Soon after, though, memes started spreading over the internet, and Burton actually posted this Steal the Look tweet showing Bernie Sanders wearing its $132 Edgecomb jacket. Adweek also announced yesterday that Vinette Mehara is leaving Walgreens Boot Alliance It's as its chief marketing officer and chief customer officer. The parent, of Wal- the parent company of Walgreens had previously completed a global agency review, and now the marketing executive is leaving, quote, to take on a new opportunity as the chief growth officer at a startup in Silicon Valley. And that begins that. TikTok also rolled out a new feature this week. Text-to-speech has been a feature that automatically converts text to a voiceover as users watch videos that have the feature enabled. This new option is an accessibility feature for those with an impaired vision. When a user types text into a video as normal, an option will appear to be able to tap on it to enable the text-to-speech option. The default AI voice will then read it out loud to anybody watching the video. 
each week, we're going to invite recruiters and business leaders onto this show to be able to share their career strategies, mindsets, and tips. Here to be able to join us today is Gloria Chu, a former U.S. diplomat turned public relations expert. Her clients have been featured in places like The New York Times, Fast Company, and Wall Street Journal. Gloria, welcome to the show. You made a very large career transition into the world of marketing and public relations without having specific experience before that change. How did you navigate that change? I always say, Mike, life is so not linear, right? I'm, it's like I'm building a bus that I'm riding on. And so if anyone is thinking of changing or trying something different, this episode is for you. Um, I will say that I always love to see people win, right? And it's just about the messaging. So when I was a diplomat, it was about winning over people's hearts and minds about policy issues. Not as fun, but still messaging. How do you make yourself relevant, right? And so that is where I honed in on that. And then I realized I didn't love bureaucracy and I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. So um, I transitioned into PR. Of course, no PR agencies would hire me because I never had any PR experience. And so I kind of just hacked it on my own, just cold calling, literally dialing the operator all the way up to the newsroom. And uh, throughout that time, I came up with my methods. You know, I went through a similar experience. I had applied to be an intern at the Orange County Register, which is a local paper in Southern California. And I remember the internship application actually said, you need to submit 10 written published samples. And I was like, oh my gosh, how do you apply for this internship if you don't have any experience? You know, you talk about hacking your way into PR. Like, how do you go about creating your own marketing or PR experience? So when I talk about PR, I'm not talking about any kind of the marketing paid stuff. So this is purely earned. So I'm not talking about paying an influencer. It's just how can you convince a journalist, a credible, legitimate journalist that you cannot pay to write about you? And it's really about positioning yourself as the industry authority. And I think there's so many limiting beliefs we have around how we have to have a fancy website and we have to have fancy VC money and be ready to be quoted. And I've made it my entire career to work with founders who are super early stage, some without even a website, to smash this limiting belief. So first there's a mindset piece, right? And then there's the actual messaging piece where as founders, you're so heads down in your product, you're like so good at the marketing speak, but that is not what a journalist wants, right? They wanna know, how is this pointing to a bigger trend in the industry? What's on the horizon? How is it challenging our beliefs? And why does it matter right now? And that is why my pitching method, the CPR method covers all of that. So you can translate something that's purely marketing into something that a journalist will actually care about. That's a great point. Let's talk a little bit about that. Many companies and marketers, you know, will put out press releases or they'll make announcements for their company. And the media sometimes will just ignore those. What are the big mistakes that you see marketers and PR uh, folks making? You know, I think that if you have a lot of money and a lot of runway, like go ahead, just do all those press releases as an SEO tool. It will help. But unless you really learn how you are relevant and what is the message that's going to put you at the front where you can be invited to speak at a summit, where you can be invited into those rooms, you're just going to be like spending that money, right? And so what I help founders do is really master that art of transformation of why they are relevant and credible and not just like using all this money for press releases. One thing about press releases, I see a lot of founders just issuing press releases, but they don't have a strategy around it. Now, I always say, do not send a press release unless you can couple two or three announcements into one. So instead of just saying, oh, we've launched, we're here, 
it's like we've launched, we're here, and we're the first to partner with this person, or we are having a charitable initiative, or we have this board member who's going to give us tons of credibility. That is how I write my press releases. So if you're a strap for cash, make sure you have a strategy and not just like do a press release, because that is also your number one chance to get an exclusive from a top tier journalist. Think you're on mute. And the exclusive is exactly what everybody's chasing. Thank you for that. Yeah. What do you think is the best way to be able to remain relevant to the media? And what, is, what does the media care about? So that is really the secret sauce of PR and how I've been able to get people on, on news features, right? Is relevance and what's timely. A lot of times you think it's relevant because people want to buy this product. I'm sorry, I'm in New York City and uh, it's just a fact of life. We have fire trucks. Um, you, you don't want to just say, oh, it's relevant because people need the solution, right? Try to tie your messaging with something seasonal. So for example, for you and what you're doing with like career counseling and coaching, it might be a, a graduation piece, right? And so it's comparing 2008 grads with 2020 grads and what are the career changes? What are their attitudes? So that is kind of a seasonal piece. If you're in retail and e-commerce, it could be about, about holiday shopping and what are the trends happening now with COVID and the economic recession. So always try to tie it to something seasonal relevant. If you are in finance, it could be something with financial uh, financial legislation. So think about those angles. That's a great point. And that exact angle that uh, you had told me to take in the past, we had hosted an online summit that was called Hope Summit last year. And we pitched that exact same angle, talking about the class of 2020 and students and the impact on students for graduation. And we saw that piece get picked up by the Tennessean. So some great advice there on how to stay relevant to current events. You know, one misconception is that some companies think that PR is expensive. You know, it's oftentimes associated with large monthly retainers for PR agencies. What about for the bootstrapped founder, though, or for the pre-series A company? How does that person, how does that company go about getting coverage without a traditional PR agency? So my whole business is about helping people not have to ever hire a PR agency. Um, and I don't consider myself an agency. So I really have three steps to getting press. The first one is you need to make your media list. Now you need to know who are the people who are in the position to cover your story. And guess what? It's not the editor in chief in Fast Company. It's not the editor chief at the Times. They're doing their own speaking tours. Right. So finding out who is that staff writer who's covering your beat, following them on social media and having that outreach strategy where you have multiple touch points with them is going to allow you to build that uh, rapport with them. So you don't have to pay for an ad agency. Right. Because they're going to start to, like, understand that you are a mover and shaker in this industry. Now, it might take some time. But that is the most sustainable and long lasting way for you to get on their radars. Again, it's relationship building. So if you go on my website, GloriaChowPR.com, there's tons of resources on how you can find journalists. One of them is setting up a Google News Alert. So if you are in fintech or if you are in, um, I don't know, legal, whatever, right? You can set up a Google News Alert where they will send you all of the articles being published on your keyword and having an Excel spreadsheet to just copy and paste that and keep a running list of who are the people to follow. LinkedIn is a huge, huge way to connect with top tier journalists, for example. So what we're doing right now is like huge, right? That is step number one. Number two is you got to find your pitch. You got to translate your marketing speak into one that's going to put you as a thought leader. So I have a CPR method that I trademarked to help you do just that. And we can talk a little bit about that as well. And number three is contribute to a higher domain authority website, like a Medium or a Forbes. They all accept contribute articles. But 
do not put it on your website first where maybe 10, 15 people will read it because they only accept original pieces. I love that. And I especially love what you're talking about in terms of building relationships on LinkedIn. You know, oftentimes so people get so many cold emails and yet they're posting things on LinkedIn and there's only a handful of a dozen people that like that post or comment on that post. And it's a great way to be able to stand out. And, you know, who doesn't like getting an, an additional like or comment on their post? Sometimes, though, the most effective messages are actually cold emails that are coming directly from founders. What's the best way to be able to cold email somebody and actually get them to respond? So I've only cold emailed people because I studied politics, so I never had any relationships with journalists or PR agencies. I was never invited to a single networking event. So my whole business is about cold calling. And um, I came up with my CPR method. C stands for credibility. P stands for point of view and R stands for relevance. And if your pitch has all three things, it's usually 90% of the way there. A lot of people make the mistake on putting too much in the credibility piece. It's very simple. One sentence. I am a founder of this company. Boom, right? That's your credibility piece. Point of view stands for three things or three ways where the industry is headed, right? So for example, I just wrote um, a, a pitch for someone who is in the fitness industry. It could be about how COVID has transformed fitness and three ways they have to adapt to stay alive, right? So, that, so that's your uh, point of view. Relevance is the most difficult one because that is what's going to get the editor to be like, why do I need to interview them now and not three years from now? So that is what I mean by tying into something seasonal to something relevant, Right. If you if you make a direct to consumer product, it could be like a gift a gift guide for the holidays, like Valentine's Day is coming up. That could be one. That's really, really great advice there. You know, to be able to learn more about the CPR method, we're going to put some resources here up on the screen. Thanks so much, Gloria, for joining us on this episode of Vitan Council Live. We'll bring you back on here for a quick a quick chat in later on in this episode we're going to be talking about clubhouse a little bit but i'm already looking forward to having you back on the show to be able to learn more about gloria's work you can check out www.getfeatured.com where you can catch a replay of her pr masterclass. You, you can dig into the cpr method as well as join her five-day pr challenge to be able to learn about how to write your newsworthy pitch thanks again gloria all right, moving right along here, we're going to be able to bring on sisters Nina and Jessica Gutierrez to the show. They are cause-based marketing consultants, helping companies build trust with their consumers. Jessica, a vice president at Feel Good Profits, says that cause-based marketing is the solution for getting organic leads in a world where ad spend and cost per leads are rising. Nina is also a former chief marketing officer at Pocket Feed. Combined, they bring the experience of managing over a million social media followers. To start things off, Nina and Jessica, what exactly is cause-based marketing and why should marketers pay attention to this? So cause-based marketing is aligning yourself with something that's much bigger than yourself. Um, I think that's kind of the best way to explain it. And it's whether you're deciding to choose a charity or you're deciding, um, you know, through givebacks or you have decided that you're going to do one specific piece. But cause-based marketing is all about, I think, standing up for something greater than you. And Nina and I work together because it's it's something that's very that we're both very passionate about about putting your money behind something that does something more because there's so much competition in the industry and the industry is just so saturated at this point that how do you get your products to stand out from the competition 
That's a great point. And Nina, I saw that you, you know, this strategy really grew through companies that you've been involved with and clients as well. How have you seen this come to life in projects that you've worked with? Um, we've worked with companies who've had in incorporating a cause into um, a seasonal challenge or seasonal sale, see their biggest numbers by incorporating that engagement strategy with their consumer that involves a cause. So it's something that we really believe allows a company to scale with trust and build that organic reach around something that they're passionate about and that really draws engagement to them and their brand in um, a really meaningful way that encourages that continuous interaction and um, the long-term engagement, which is what you're really searching for, is you know people who are aligned with your brand long-term and not just for you know those short-term spans. Yeah, yeah long-term thinking really seems to be important. I mean, one that stands out for me is REI being closed on Black Friday. You know, you would think as a retailer that that would be a really poor decision to be closed on Black Friday, and yet they get so much press and so much word of mouth of people talking about it. In fact, we're here live streaming talking about how REI is closed on Black Friday. And, you know, they encourage consumers to be able to get outdoors. What are other examples of brands that I may have heard of and examples of cause-based marketing campaigns really in the works? Well, I think everybody naturally, when they think of cause-based marketing, they they automatically go to Tom's. They are like, that was kind of the forefront. And I remember um, being like, distinctly seeing the Tom's marketing going into like Macy's to buy shoes and seeing the TV and they were playing a video of them doing a shoe drop. Now they've changed a lot over the course of the years. They're no longer um, strictly a one for one model. They raise money through different initiatives so that they can give back on a much greater scale. But I think it does. Um, Tom's really they came out from the beginning and effectively like had their messaging very clear that they were about creating that impact. And then since then, there's, I think there's so many companies that tie it into the fabric of who they are. There's two different ways to approach it. So you can either be like, from inception, we're about giving back or this is something we're pivoting towards. We're doing a one-off like charity bracelet or charity piece where a percentage of proceeds from this specific item go back to what they're doing. So there's brands like um, Pura Vida, Asics works with a give back box. So they don't specifically do anything on their own, but they've worked with other companies doing give back initiatives. So it really depends on where, um, where your company is but my favorite thing to do is like look at companies that i'm already using and then say how are they giving back are they giving back because there's so many top brands if you go into target honest company newman's um there's that you may associate them right off the bat as a company that gives back but the more you research there's other brands that are actually doing uh really cool things harry's does cool things um so and i think too um, to that point, a lot of people think of large established brands and associate cause-based marketing with, you know, CSR and corporate social responsibility and companies like Coca-Cola and Pepsi who've been around for, 
you know, ever and have those initiatives built into the fabric of what they do. But what's something that we're really passionate about is making that accessible to companies at that early stage, that there's always a way to give back, whether that's your time, your money, your energy. And it's something that you can do at any stage of your business or brand, because um, for many of the people we work with, you know, that first conversation is usually about something that they're thinking about in terms of legacy and something that they would like to do, like once they're business is established once they have the runway or the bandwidth to incorporate that into what they do. But we're really passionate about broaching, you know, the topic of cause-based marketing and saying that at any point in your business, even if you have the time to volunteer, that's something that you can incorporate into your social channels and um, disseminate to your audience so that you can scale with trust at any point of your business. Yeah, that's a really good point that, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a one for one give like what has been popularized with cause based marketing, that it could be, you know, the donation of the team's time uh, dedicated to a specific effort. I absolutely love that. You know, Jessica, one question that I have for you is how has consumer buying decisions changed over the past few years on how people choose where to spend their money? I think we don't even have to go the past few years. We can look at 2020 and um when black lives matter became even more of like a top everybody was um focusing on that i saw a lot across the board of people wanting to know where brands stood on different issues so and then with that it was kind of the more they dug into brands where's my money going what are they supporting so it really gave brands the opportunity to say this is who we are this is what we stand behind and the brands um that really have those programs of what they provide with their employees. Like this is, these are days that we all go volunteer as a team or that you can tell. Um, I think people just kind of gravitated toward, like I had friends who were messaging brands directly on Instagram. I mean, messaging their social teams, like where do you stand on these issues? Do, you know, do you guys give back? Do you do this? Where do you, um, what does your employment hires look like? So I think people are at the point where they, they really want to know. And it goes back to there's so much competition in the market that you really do have the ability to buy a similar product um, from multiple brands. So at the end of the day, you get to choose who's going to get my dollars, who am I going to put those behind and being able to say, I want to support this company because this is what they believe in and this is what I believe in. And we really align, you know, that your money is going to something greater. So buying habits, I, I do feel that people are taking it upon themselves to become much more informed. Um, they realize that they have purchase power and that they have that ability to say that, you know, no, my sale is not going to go to you. And this is this is why. And then having those conversations with their friends, that's also where you really start, you know, long term. Like, hey, did you know that this brand gives back in this way? Um, Fenty Beauty, Rihanna had started her own uh, like nonprofit. And it some companies decide to do that. They uh, partner with a nonprofit that already exists or they create their own. Ben and Jerry's is very big on giving back. Um 
So it's kind of, if I'm staring at ice cream, I'm like, well, you know that Ben and Jerry's like that your money is going to something else. We're not telling you to not buy the ice cream, but you're just more informed when you're making those purchasing decisions. Yeah, you're right. You know, standing in the grocery store, I feel like it's overwhelming looking at the number of ice cream options, (laughs) the shortage of ice cream options in the market. And, you know, it used to be in the past that companies could just stay silent on these issues. But Mm -hmm. I feel like with Black Lives Matters, not making a statement is almost making a statement in and of itself. Yeah, there was a lot of attention to that, too, when companies didn't make a statement. And I know in um, brands that we work with, it's like you're making a statement either way. So you're either going to come out and say, we support this or your silence does make its own statement. So you you really do have to have your own conviction as a brand to say, okay, this is this is what we believe in and we're going all the way with that. And um, it the more that you start to learn about brands when you are in a situation where there's so many brands to choose from, you're like, oh, no, I, I do want to go with this one. I do. It kind of helps make that decision a little bit easier because certain brands tend to fall off. And I love brands leaning into how they give back. Um Sometimes it's like you start researching a brand, you're like, oh, they're doing all these cool initiatives. Like Nike actually has a lot of initiatives that they're involved in, but it's not something that if you went to their social media profiles that you'd see right off the bat. So I would like to see brands leaning into it more because so many of them do have them built in for whatever reasons, like whether it's because of CSR or whatever reasons they developed that initially. But I... I think it really does. It speaks to the consumer in a different way and allows them to want to choose your brand ultimately. And it definitely is the area that things are heading in with company leadership teams becoming slowly more diverse, not quite there yet, not anywhere near where we need to be. But, you know, things like Tim Cook being the openly uh, first openly gay you know, CEO is an example of in the past, CEOs would take a stance on that as individuals and human beings. But we're definitely starting to see brands and the companies actually making statements, whether that's around the social causes that they support or, you know, social justice. Nina, how does cause based marketing help companies actually build trust, though? So one of my favorite definitions of trust is a confident relationship with the unknown. And to that point, trust is the currency of interactions. So social media being what it is, it really is technology, a tech platform built on interactions. So as a brand, if what you're looking to do is build that engagement with that consumer and you're asking them to make that leap of trust, make that confident decision in choosing you over your competitor, cause-based marketing and aligning yourself with a cause that is something that reads as genuine and something that you as a company um, are passionate about, that is what enables them to make that leap sooner rather than later. Because we're asking consumers every day now to make that leap of trust much faster, the speed at which they are asked to do that, um, whether that's in their Instagram stories and how many times they see something, um, and you're asking them to just make that leap, that is what builds it over time. 
Yeah, that's a really great point. You know, we've talked about a lot of examples of companies effectively using cause-based marketing already. You know, I assume that this increases customer referrals and word of mouth marketing or just general social virality. You know, an example is us being here talking about uh, REI and what they do on Black Friday. Have you seen that play out across different companies and different industries? I think if you look at a company um, like Giving Keys, so they built in, they they want to work to employ more people coming out of homelessness. So when I buy Giving Keys, I have, I'm so behind their messaging and what they stand for that now if I have to buy a gift for somebody, I choose that brand. And then when you gift that item, you also get, to kind of tell the person that's receiving it um, the story about the brand. And then you're, you know, it's, it does go back to that word of mouth, like REI, you didn't necessarily purchase anything on Black Friday, but you're talking about what they decided to do as far as getting people outside. So in a very similar way, I see a brand that I love, I love what they stand for. I love what they do and they're a quality product. So now I purchase that. I give it to somebody else. I get to tell the story of what the brand does, which it's so much more than just receiving a, a piece, <laughs> like receiving just a gift. Like they're now learning about the company and then maybe they'll purchase from that company. And, and we've seen it with our nieces it's really cool to see because they're so young and um we gave them pure vita bracelets and now they when they go shopping they like they'll be like look at this brand i found they that gives back and they'll like send us pictures and they're little like we're dealing with 10 year old and a 12 year old and um their shopping habits are starting to change so i think when you're able to to tell that story about what a company stands behind and what they stand for, it becomes much more than just a purchase. And it allows that company to really speak to a consumer long-term. And you can't, um, that's something like Nina and I always say, it has to be an authentic fit too. Like you wanna make sure that you're not just like randomly picking how you're gonna give back or what you stand for like out of a hat. Like it should be in alignment with your company because that goes into your brand story like why you can you can talk about th that through your marketing campaigns and like why we give back to this particular um charity or why we donate our you know volunteer our time with them because all of that becomes messaging about who you are as a company and that's that's what gets people to trust you over time that's what creates that long-term relationship like anybody can go for the quick sales the black friday sales like they want to make the money they want to sell high volume quickly but how do you retain those customers how do you get them coming back to you and continuing to shop from you long term and i have seen really interesting things around virality and engagement on social channels and if it's something that your base is really passionate about, we've seen people do things like donating a dollar for every comment or a dollar for every like. And then you're building um, because they're trying to build awareness around something that they've posted. And in turn, for you helping them get the message out there that they're passionate about as well, they're making a donation. So they're really interesting, like tactical social media um, 
things that we've seen brands employ in an effort to increase that engagement. Um, so those are really, you know, interesting. Um, but our focus is really always on that long-term engagement and building customers that will keep returning to you to make their purchases long-term. That's a really interesting point about the virality. It, it, it almost brings me back or reminded me that the ice bucket challenge was fundamentally about raising awareness for ALS. Nina, what about the B Corp or the B Corporation that I see now? You know, you see these sometimes on the websites of companies like Patagonia, Allbirds, Etsy, Ben & Jerry's that um, Jessica mentioned earlier, Lisa Sleep, Warby Parker. From what I understand, it's a private certification for social and environmental performance. Is this something the company should be looking at? Um, I think it's something that you should definitely educate yourself on as a business or brand because it just adds to that legitimacy. It solidifies um, that for consumers. If you think, I don't think it's it's something that every brand has to do. And I and I obviously there is um, you know a commitment associated with it that reads. Um, for your consumers as something that you're extremely committed to. So I think in that way, it's, it is um, something that you should definitely educate yourself on. I don't think that at every, you know, every early stage business needs to immediately um, start pursuing that because I think there are so many other things that you can do to communicate that to your audience. But I, especially for more established brands, that is the trend. So if it's, um, you know, a brand that you're finding in store, that's something that we've seen over the last, like, I, I mean, I remember as early, I would just say like within the last five to seven years, the trend is definitely for established brands to be pursuing that, but I wouldn't, um, allow that to discourage you as an early stage company or a brand from finding a way to give back in in a way that's meaningful for your consumers. And I think you can have just as much success even if you don't have that stamp of approval quite yet. Yeah, that makes sense. One more question on this topic. You know, Jessica, if you're a business and you want to take just one step towards cause-based marketing, or maybe you're a marketing specialist or a social media specialist at a company and you can't make that decision on B Corp, like what's one thing that you can do to be able to take a small step towards this? I would say um, kind of look at your team, depending on depending on how much say you have in the direction of what the company is going. Um, I would start to look at, if you're doing the marketing for a company, look at some of your favorite brands, see what they're doing. Look at companies, um, small brands, startups that, I mean, we have quite a few, if you go to the feel good profits, like Instagram, we like to feature brands big and small and say how they're giving back. And you know, whether it's through an individual partnership or it's a one-off thing. Um, I think just just kind of seeing what people are doing that's out there and then what speaks to you and say, okay, this is something that we can realistically do. Or maybe we don't, we can't be involved in doing a financial contribution right now, but you know what, as a team, we can volunteer our expertise. Like we can give back and we can say, this is where we're really strong. So we would like to, um, as a company volunteer a couple hours of our day or once a quarter, like however we want to do it and structure that, that it's something you're able to give back to as like a whole unit, but definitely like educate yourself as 
to how different different companies are doing that. And we love to focus and highlight different companies on the Feel Good Profits Instagram and on our blog and just show that there's so many ways to do it. So don't get discouraged. Like people usually think they're doing cause-based marketing. That means they're giving away profits. Like they have to give away in order to gain. And you really don't. You can, um, there's, there's a lot of ways that you can grow authentically and engage with your audience. But I think learning how people are doing it is your first. Awesome. Awesome. And thanks so much for sharing. Make sure to check out the Instagram account, this Feel Good Profits Instagram account. And Nina and Jessica, stick around. We're going to continue this conversation on a different topic of a new trend coming up. But before that, to learn more about cause-based marketing, check out feelgoodprofits.co. You can also subscribe to the Feel Good Profits podcast on Apple or Spotify. And thanks so much for rejoining that. We're going to bring back Gloria to this conversation. You may have uh, heard and remembered earlier, Gloria is running a five-day PR challenge. But I want to talk for a little bit about this new trend. So a few days ago, I got an invite to be able to join this thing called Clubhouse. Gloria has been talking to me about it nonstop. I'm not quite sure what it is yet, but it's a new app. And, you know, shortly before the premiere of season two of Undercover Billionaire, uh, Grant Cordone waded into the waters of this recently launched Clubhouse app. And it turned out to be a good decision for both the show as well as his other business ventures. If you're not familiar, though, with this platform, you're not alone. Uh, Many people haven't heard about it yet, either because they're not on an iOS device or on an iPhone or because they haven't received an invite for it yet. But I think it was all big part of their marketing strategy. You know, by cutting out 55% of the US marketplace, they were able to throttle new users by restricting this invite only process. But it was also the perfect recipe for this to go viral. And it definitely worked. The platform launched in May. And by the end of 2020, it had more than 600,000 registered users. Gloria, you're back first. Is this going to be a fad or is it going to be around to stay? All right, we're going to work on Gloria's audio, bringing her back in a second. Jessica, what do you think? I I love it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure once it gets, once it's completely open and accessible, how the platform itself is going to change. So I think that'll be really interesting to see how, um, how different users use it. I guess that would be like, are they just kind of dipping in to hear different conversations? Like if you're involved in marketing or to me, it's interesting to drop in and listen to the thought leaders and kind of hear what they have to say. And it's almost like you're sitting at a table with them and just get to hear them chatting amongst themselves. But I, I'm not sure once it's completely available to everyone, um, how they're going, like how it's going to change the landscape of the app itself. Yeah, that's a good point. So for anybody who hasn't received an invite yet, you join this Clubhouse app and, you know, there's concepts of speakers and followers and you can follow other people and the the speakers can create rooms. They're audio only rooms. You don't have to be camera ready. You don't have to have the pressure of um, looking your best, having a clean room, like things like Instagram stories. Um, and then once you join these rooms, you can, you, you're almost like a fly on the wall where you can hear others speak in the room. Gloria, I know that you've been hosting many rooms yourself. Personally, I still think this is flavor of the week, but you, I think you think differently, right? 
you know, when I first had it, I was like, oh, there's no way I'm joining this. And so I just kind of was a fly on the wall listening. And then I finally got the courage to raise my hand and actually be, you know, put on stage. And um, I was able to speak directly with a lot of the entrepreneurs I follow. And then I got the courage to connect with them offline. And now we're hosting our own room. So it is such a powerful funnel for you to not only learn from people, but generate leads. And also the people in the rooms who are listening on the same topic, like that is a gold mine right there, because those are people who have expressed interest in that topic, whatever it might be. So I definitely think for anyone who thinks it's just another TikTok or whatever, to please give it a try and raise your hand and just start from there. You will quickly become addicted, I think. Yeah, I definitely think it's another TikTok right now, but what do I know? You know, the, like like all good things in marketing, you know, the early days are when you get the virality. I remember back in the day, you know, 2012, you could have a Facebook group, post a message in a Facebook group and literally reach hundreds of thousands of people. And that's kind of the environment that we're seeing right now on Clubhouse. Um, Nina, what are your favorite rooms to be able to follow and how are you using the app? Um, I've been following for the moment, things that have to do with my industry specifically. So social media and marketing, um, anything in the digital space. But it is really interesting because we have seen um, some of these speakers live at conferences in the past. So getting a slightly different version of them, a much more relaxed, like you said, it's just audio. It feels like you're a fly on the wall listening to their conversation. And I will say having seen some of them live, you're getting a lot more information in these clubhouse rooms than you typically get from them on stage in a more produced fashion. Um, so I'm really loving it. And I think um, finding the courage to like raise your hand, like Gloria said, is definitely something that I'm looking to do in the future because I do see that as uh, a way to really, at this stage, build a following and establish yourself within the app um, so that hopefully it isn't, it is more of a long-term connection that it's not just something that's going to go away. And I think now's the time to really jump in. If you're thinking, um, that it, it's definitely going to hang around, which, which I do think it is. And I think it's being impacted greatly by the lack of conferences. So I think there are so many people jumping in because you don't have the opportunity to see these people in person right now. And to do that sort of networking on, a you know, face-to-face -face level. Yeah, I like two things that you said there. You know, the number one, it's not heavily produced. You know, consumers today are looking for authenticity. They want to know who are the people, who are these actual people behind these brands? They don't want to see the corporate doublespeak or, you know, the the things that you would traditionally read when a script is written. I think the second thing is as on the content producer side, you know, it's gold being able to produce this much content without putting in the heavy amount of work that goes into editing a YouTube video or the heavy amount of work that goes into looking for podcast guests and then editing that podcast episode afterwards. All right, quick rapid fire, 12 months from today, are you still going to be using Clubhouse? Jessica, you're up first, yes or no? Yes, I right. think I will. I mean, hopefully I'll be hosting rooms like Glory said, I'll get to that point of getting there. But I, I think I'll always like listen in. Interesting to see whether um, the accessibility changes. If those like thought leaders end up staying on the platform, that'll probably change how much I use the app. I think I already know the answer, but Gloria, 12 months from today, are you still going to be a daily active user of Clubhouse? 
I think so. I'm going to be sleep deprived. I mean, there are people who are on Clubhouse and they keep it on all night. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm, <laughs> I'm hosting two rooms today, actually. One about how to build publicity for your business for free um, at eight. And then another one on how to build your brand authentically. So catch me on there. Awesome. And Nina, 12 months from now, are you still going to be on Clubhouse? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think even if it's just from an educational perspective, I think it's something to definitely jump into, especially if you have a particular niche that you're that you really lean into just to see what the thought leaders in your space are talking about. And as for myself, I don't know yet, but I do know that I have five invites. And so if you have an iPhone or an iOS device and you would like one of these five invites, uh, shoot me a message, leave a comment on here, send me a text message, and you can have one of my five invites. Uh, Jessica, Gloria, Nina, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Viton Council Live. And thank you, everybody, for joining us in the audience. You know, starting uh, this week, we're going to be moving to Thursday. This, And we're going to be live here every Thursday at noon Central Time. For a full schedule of our Viton events, you can check out viton.com slash calendar for more information about joining the Viton Council. You can also head over to our website, viton.com. And let us know what you thought about today's episode in the comments down below, who you would like to see appear as a guest on future episodes. You can text me directly on the number at the screen. It's 615-667-8433, 615-667-8433. That goes straight to my cell phone. If you want one of my five invites to Clubhouse, let me know after you add yourself to my phone's contacts. Take care, and we'll see you all next time.